Hello everyone and welcome to Pursuit of Wellness podcast. I'm your host Daria Tiesler. I believe you have been enjoying the recent podcast and I believe they have impacted your life in a positive way, impacted your health as well as performance. We are all about optimization, we are all about holistic vision for you and your life. There is always something you can find for your body, for your mind and for your spirit. In today's episode, we exploring polycystic ovary syndrome from the physician perspective. So we have actually physician as well as integrative health practitioner who will help us to drive or dive more into understanding what it is polycystic ovary syndrome. Hello Deepa, welcome once again. We had you at some point talking about CBD oil. Today we are meeting in a different circumstances and we are talking about women's health. Once again, thank you so much for joining this podcast and we so, so much looking forward for your wisdom. I wanted that you come to this podcast because you are a medical practitioner, you're a medical doctor, right? And you have all this uh, beautiful yes. approach of integrative and functional medicine. Yes. And this part of this podcast I named like PCOS part one, where we are gathering all the basic information that generally uh, female uh, received when she goes to a doctor. What is PCOS? Why women get PCOS, right? General medical. Uh, treatment for that and we yeah. discussed a little bit few things around that that possibly actually medical uh, practitioners do not discuss with our um, customers but they should know about that and then later on we're going to dis discover much more nutrition lifestyle maybe special supplementation um, on that right yes very good fantastic okay Deepa very basic What is PCOS? What stands for? Okay, so PCOS stands for polycystic ovary syndrome. And mm -hmm. it is a generally, if we were to just summarize it in simple terms, it means that there are multiple cysts, which are fluid-like sacs, um, fluid-filled sacs that are on the ovaries. And this causes a hormonal imbalance and dysregulation in a woman. Typically, right. typically childbearing mm -hmm. age and can cause problems mm. with fertility. So that's really one of the biggest issues. Right, right. And is the, uh, that's one of my questions was actually, I meant to ask the age of a woman mm -hmm. who may get PCOS. You said it's childbearing. Childbearing. Uh, mm -hmm. Childbearing. Okay, okay, fantastic. Um, can you please uh, tell me, uh, because I know that there are some um criteria that actually PCOS is diagnosed, right? Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I read a literature that before you could have cysts, I think was about cysts. Now you don't necessarily need to have a cyst, Correct. but you still could be diagnosed with PCOS. What are those criteria? Yeah, in the beginning, I think a lot of people um, were just going on the fact that if they had an ultrasound and they had irregular periods, then they must have PCOS, but that's not true anymore. They actually have the Rotterdam criteria. 
And it actually requires the presence of two factors. And that's actually oligoovulation, which is lowered or little ovulation, and anovulation, which means no ovulation. So the problem is the ovaries are not producing the eggs as it normally should. As we know, in a woman, she has in her childbearing age, in her fertile years, she has monthly menstrual cycles. And typically, they should be 28 to 30 days. This is not the case for many women due to a number of factors, which we can get into later. However, what happens with lowered menstruation, meaning it's just very irregular, they have perhaps are skipping their periods, that is one of the criteria. Another criteria could be an elevated androgen level. And when we talk about androgens, we're talking about the male hormone, which is also a female hormone. Many people, when we say testosterone, they immediately think of males. Males and females actually have similar hormonal pathways. It's just males have much more presence of testosterone at such a higher level, whereas we have a lower level because we need the other hormones to interplay with the cycle. So it's estrogen and progesterone. And estrogen, in fact, there are three types of estrogen. There's estrone, estradiol, and estriol. So typically when we're looking at that, we want to see about two of the three Rotterdam criteria that are present. So that's typically what we're looking at. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Thank you very much. I think that's very important because I think the literature is kind of changing. And I know I had a few female clients who actually did not have cysts and they still had these symptoms and increased uh, testosterone as in one of the functional medical, uh, functional medicine testing uh, for PCOS. We, we discussed that um, as well. Good. What is the reason that women get PCOS? Because it, I see like so many of them has it actually. I, this is yeah. not like a very little problem. I think it's actually a huge problem. It is a huge problem. I think they estimate 15 to 20% of the uh, childbearing females in the world actually suffer from it and which leads to infertility um, if it's not treated properly. Um, and there's so many factors. But I guess, you know, when we're looking at about 25%, of PCOS can actually be attributed to genetics. So if you have a mother or sister or maternal aunt, especially who has PCOS, most likely you will have it. So there is some play in genetics and inheriting the genes. Um, the rest is lifestyle, because if you actually look at most disease processes, as a physician, I tell my patients that only about 20 to 25% of what actually happens to us or diseases that we develop are attributed to genetics. The other 75% or 80% is really attributed to our lifestyle. So if we just stop and take a look at the world we live in, we live in a very toxic world. We are increasingly becoming processed. There are many chemicals we're subject to. And just even looking at what we're going through with the pandemic, what is one of the number one things that we are having to use is hand sanitizers. And I'm a very, very big advocate of being very natural and organic because any chemicals that we're exposed to, any toxins, whether they're pesticides, whether they're skincare products, even simple things like soap and shampoo, makeup, perfumes, these are very, very important and crucial endocrine disruptors. And they are one of the number one causes of not only cancer, but infertility. And people don't realize that. But when I stop to point it out, it makes a big deal all of a sudden because I show them studies and I explain to my patients, do not 
spray, for example, perfume directly on the skin. Our skin is our largest organ. It's soaking in those chemicals going right into the bloodstream. We only think about things entering body by eating them, right? So, oh gosh, don't eat that. That's not good for you. But actually taking things orally is one of the least effective ways to get, you know, absorbed into the body. Putting things topically, you know, is huge. So looking at things like hair dye, shampoo, lotions, perfumes, hand sanitizers, or for example, you know, treating your lawn, right? Okay, they come and do pesticides. And then you go out and your kids go out barefoot and play on the lawn. Um, the beach, we use a lot of sunscreen. People don't stop to think about how toxic sunscreen is. Just one drop of sunscreen can pollute six Olympic-sized pools and cause it to be toxic and increase your cancer risk. And you see what happens at the beaches. So we just live in a very toxic world. And most of what's happening is because we're exposed to all these chemicals. Right. Uh, it's uh, also for me very important. And I think that I want to point this that out, if I audience didn't uh, hear um, that's what you're saying and I'm discussing with you, it's science-based. If we talk about science-based medicine, it's not just something comes that causing this and that. No, actually there are research that are proving that and our environment is toxic and there is a huge link between toxicity and whatever is happening in our body. And in that case, uh, is linked to uh, this disruption of hormones that will cause PCOS later on. Right. Correct. Yes. Correct. Mm -hmm. I just wanted. I think that's very, very important uh, to talk about that. How PCOS is diagnosed, right? Because uh, because there is um, something deeper. You said that um, fifteen. Uh, there is a genetic component of getting PCOS. So if mm -hmm. our mother has or had, apologies, mm -hmm. had. But I feel that actually many mothers did not know that they had PCOS. So right. because maybe they weren't right diagnosing, maybe that wasn't uh, that common in the past or weren't kind of discovered, right? So what, uh, what a female needs to know if she, for example, losing the period is irregular, she cannot get pregnant, there is few different uh, symptoms of PCOS as well. So how do we yes. diagnose PCOS? Well, again, when I talked about diagnosing it, we kind of look at the Rotterdam criteria. So there are three criteria, but you need really two of the three. So mm -hmm. it's usually having uh, menstrual cycles that are greater than 35 days apart or even short cycles that are less than 21 days. So it's important to remember that every woman you know, with regular cycles may be anovulatory. So just because you're having a period doesn't mean you're necessarily ovulating. Hmm. So that, yes, we have to actually look at that. And what you need to do is get a measure of the luteal progesterone. Typically um, on day 21 in a 28 day cycle will determine an ovulatory status. So that's number one. The second criteria is hyper androgenism. So that's basically the excess testosterone. Um, and hirsutism is a big thing. Hirsutism means hairiness, excess hair. Um, it is difficult to assess um, women for this because it's not sometimes very obvious because there could be cultural aspects. You know, there are some cultures where women are just hairier or men are hairier than others. So this is something that you, the, the, the practitioner, the physician has to be keenly aware of. You know, I happen to be um, very analytical when I examine patients. I pay attention to family history, their culture, their ethnicity, because I have a good handle on different cultures in the world and what kind of genetics they display and what they're more predisposed to. So 
you have to be very careful with that. You have to look at maybe facial acne. You know, a lot of times when we look at hormonal acne on the face, it's really around the chin area, maybe the forehead um, on the back. So that's very important. Also, ask them if there are any are on any um, oral contraceptives, you know, that are, things like the pill or a patch or an IUD that's can that can change because those are synthetic hormones. And then the other criteria, which is the one that we used to go by are polycystic ovaries. But when we look at that, we're really looking and relying on an ultrasound. And that's usually diagnosed when they're seeing about 10 small follicles in each ovary. Um, Typically, a unilateral or one-sided polycystic ovary is very rare, but can still be clinically significant. So that's the criteria you use. But we do have to keep in mind the following points. When we're looking at young women with menstrual cycles um, who just got in, uh, about within two years, they can you can actually have within the onset of menarche, which is the first time you get your period, it can take up to two years to regulate. So um, irregular cycles that persist into about the third year after you got your first period, that's when you start thinking about that because that's, that's not normal. So about, you know, I would say 12 to 24 months is acceptable to have um, irregular periods. Always remember that ultrasound is not a reliable diagnostic tool. Um, up to 70% of young women can actually have polycystic ovaries on ultrasound. And you have to do other in initial investigations. I mean, I do a lot of lab work. I check thyroid levels. I check follicle stimulating hormone like the FSH, and I check luteinizing hormone, LH. I look at all the um, hormone levels. I get estradiol, estrone. I get testosterone, progesterone, DHEA. Um, and then other things like insulin. A lot of these women have insulin resistance. And you also want to look at other signs like acanthosis nigrans, which is dark skin. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you are, but they get this like dark leathery type of skin. It can be um, on their torso. It can be in their armpits. And just assessing their family history is key. Does it run in the family? Are women obese? Do they have diabetes? Do they have heart disease? Do they have sleep apnea? There's a lot to diagnosis. This is not just, a, uh, you know, oh, you know, one thing, you have polycystic ovaries and it's done. There's a lot of criteria. And uh, great that you are also sharing this because I want specifically that our listeners knowing that, you know, yes, you diagnose, but there is like a bigger picture to that. It's not just you only have, like you said, uh, or you don't have uh, uh, irregular periods or you've got only cysts on uh, on your ovaries and that's it. Because there are other things that may be happening that you also like insulin resistance that, for example, that you will need to look uh, more to help manage uh, to manage your uh, PCOS condition, right? So I think right. uh, that was great. Uh, Deepa, tell me one thing: what um, what is your opinion about uh, functional testing? Right? You mentioned uh, hormones, right? Uh, which way you usually go in your uh, practice? Uh, the saliva test, uh, or you go into um, the blood test? What mm -hmm. is your base? So I think it's the key is interpreting it. There's always going to be a lot of controversy with serum versus saliva versus urine. Um, and you're going to always hear a lot of different things from the labs and different practitioners. I think the key is lab testing is part of the diagnostic tool. It is not the end-all be-all because you really have to look at the patient and look at their clinical symptoms and what they're presenting with. I typically always start off with serum, with mm -hmm. blood work. 
And then if I'm still kind of unclear and it seems a little more complicated, I go and get um, saliva labs and I get more in-depth labs where I'm actually looking at the metabolites of the different hormones. You know, there are intermediate breakdown products. It's not just simply testosterone, progesterone, and estrogen. There are hundreds of different intermediate metabolites that are involved in the hormonal pathway. So you really have to, if you want to really get into it or the patient is wanting to get more information, there are going to be more in-depth tests that you can do. Genova is one company that does it. There's doctor's data, there's ZRT labs, and there's tons of lab companies out there. Those are just some that popped to my head. But I always start out with the um, initial blood work. And I look at other things, like I said, I look and see if they're pre-diabetic. I look at the physical um, makeup. I look at their skin. I look at their family history. And I put all those puzzle pieces together. Yeah, be- beautiful. You know, I kind of I'm asking also for myself. I am practitioner and uh, I've got uh, quite many female clients with a PCOS, right? And often they not not even realizing that may have PCOS, right? We usually they come into me with a weight loss issues, right? And that's mm-hmm. like, okay, why I cannot lose weight? And then you building the, the story and the periods are irregular. There is like some uh, fat around the middle, right? There is dif- difficulty to shift, the difficulty to digest properly the carbohydrates and, you know, blood sugar dysregulation and you're starting to build up a bigger picture so again for everyone is uh, kind of extra knowledge that there is a little bit more outside just a simple one-way diagnosis that is important but then you have to personalize who you are what is your uh, lifestyle what is your uh, his- medical history what is what are your ancestors or what your mom was right yeah. and keep building up around that correct if we could Talk about a, bi- a few biggest triggers to a PCOS, right? We we talked about um, environmental toxicity. That is big one, number one for sure. What are other uh, other triggers to PCOS? I mean, yeah, environmental toxicity are um, are, are probably the top, and then genetics. Um, but we also have to look at um, diet as well because um, there's no there are no true inciting factors, actually. If you actually look at studies, uh, many doctors don't actually know exactly what causes it. Um, we know that genetics, insulin resistance, and inflammation have all been linked to excess androgen production. Um, medications, that's another side effect. We live in a world where we're constantly reliant upon pharmaceuticals, so uh, that can be a big cause. Uh, also, birth control pills, again, which would fall under pharmaceuticals. I would just say really the um, environmental causes, genetics, food, and being on, you know, pharmaceuticals, all those things can disrupt your hormonal balance, your thyroid regulation. And those would be the biggest things. I mean, if we were to really break it down, then the other causes would be insulin resistance, because up to 70% of women with PCOS have insulin resistance. So that means they're making insulin, but their cells are not utilizing it properly. And this can lead to diabetes. Um, and obesity is a major cause of this. So that can be another factor. Um, inflammation is huge as well. But again, when we talk about inflammation, we're actually looking at what's going on. Why, are the, why is the patient inflamed? So you might have to dig deeper and look for a root cause. Is it simply the 
environmental factors that are causing them or do they have something else going on? Do they have something like autoimmune disease going on? Do they have gut health issues? Gut, there have been studies that show that dysbiosis actually has a big trigger for PCOS. But honestly, gut health is actually important um, for any type of disease process. Your gut health is your foundation for your immunity. If you don't have good gut health, you don't have good health, period, mental or physical. Yeah, and you kind of went forward with uh, one of the questions, right? Because one of my questions was uh, the link and connection between PCOS and gut health. Because um, what is my observation, even without going in, without the study, right? I see mm -hmm. clinically that most of the female that has some form of hormonal issues, there is always a big amount happening inside their gut right? It's always they going two together for me. And mm -hmm. I know that, and that is very interesting for me, again, that always when I, when, when they getting better with their gut, often they were getting period back. I was right, like, exactly. wow, yep, my I goodness, know. right? And I actually, you know, I am not um, uh, allowed to use um, any hormonal replacements, right? There are people who I would refer them uh, to, right? If it's needed, right? Correct. But I'm like, you know what? Look at the gut, look at the thyroid, look what your uh, stress is doing to you, right? Yeah. The cortisol. Yeah. And that's what I've learned a lot on um, A4M, right? I, I love mm -hmm. and it's not a uh, propaganda towards the company, right? But I just genuinely right. love it because um, I had, uh, for example, female clients coming to me with uh, progesterone issues and they said okay they gave me this bottle of progesterone and I'm like okay wait a moment what your stress what your cortisol is doing and usually they've been on high cortisol right and I've learned yeah. that progesterone can be displaced by the cortisol right and I'm like you know you might first need to look at this and the thyroid and you mentioned thyroid a few times already before you actually give someone the progesterone because you don't know what is going to happen inside the body right exactly yes, yes. and yeah I mm -hmm. you mentioned a4m i mean that is not propaganda for them but that's probably the one <laughs> platform i am a faculty speaker for a4m and I, I speak for them internationally and nationally and you know there's so much you can learn from platforms like this because this is what the future of medicine is this is regenerative integrative medicine this is looking outside the box you know, and taking something like PCOS, where traditionally, oh, it's just polycystic ovary syndrome. There's so much more to it. And every single medical condition that we talk about, whether it's gut health or diabetes or heart disease or hormonal issues, or even mental issues like anxiety and depression, they all have root causes and they all lead back to certain factors. And when we break it down, it's really the things that we talk about that cause so many diseases, you know, inflammation, environmental issues, genetics. It's just, we just live in such a toxic world and it seems like it's only getting worse. And especially <laughs> now during the pandemic, you know, you have to stop and look at things that you're doing. I, I mean, I have been doing my business and going about as usual. I never shut down. And one of the most fascinating things to me is that when this pandemic started, everybody all of a sudden wanted to go get sanitizers, all of a sudden started paying attention to washing their hands, but nobody ever looks at what can I do to boost my immune system naturally? People are still not eating well. Yes. People don't understand that following a plant-based diet, having a good gut health, all my patients, including myself, and I'm going to say this because it is so important. I do IV therapy in my office. I do 
a lot of different immune boosters. I mean, I have tons of things. I do exosome therapy. I have a CVAC pod. I do so many things that help promote anti-aging immunity. And the patients who do it, including myself, these are the people who don't fall subject to illnesses. And I see it over and over again. My patient population is going to be much more healthier than the standard patient population because they're taking highly regulated, physician-regulated pharmaceutical-grade supplements. They're paying attention to their immunity. They're eating clean. They're exercising. So they're the four pillars of health for any avoidance of disease process. It's clean diet, restorative sleep, exercise and stress reduction. And you mentioned it, Daria, before that cortisol is an important part in inflammation and also hormonal dysregulation. That's your adrenal glands, you know? So something as simple as stop drinking so much coffee or eliminate your coffee is going to be huge, not just because it puts less stress on your adrenals, but it also lowers your cancer risk, the acidity in your body, and it doesn't leach micronutrients from your body. Yeah, I'm 100% on the same page. That's why we are having another podcast, right? Because yeah. <laughs> I think we connected on uh, yeah. so many levels. And I think uh, despite of, uh, like you said, this pandemic, whatever is happening, we for still do not touch in the basics of human life and human foundation, which is nutrition, water, vitamin D, right? How many studies came about linking um, 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 uh, the COVID together with vitamin D or linking COVID and alcohol, COVID and uh, nutrition, <laughs> COVID and obesity, right? And I'm yeah. like, so to be honest, most of people will get it because most of people is not looking after their body, right? And Correct. I think that should be a waking point to uh, so many, uh, so many people, right? If yes. if not now, when? When? You, right. What else has to happen that you instead uh, burger for uh, for uh, for lunch? You're going to have some, uh, you know, lots of vegetables, and you know, for anyone who does not follow um, vegan, vegetarian nutrition, some good quality of meat, right? I don't want to, right? right we not, uh, I don't want to support one side on another side. Even I know that there is lots of science backing up. Um, the vegetarian version, right? I just don't want to be taking sides uh, deeper here, you know, right, because yeah. I want my podcast to be open to everyone. And that's why I also yeah. don't feel offended and in a way when you are showing your way, because I want that people see that there is more to that, There's right? To much more. I always tell my patients, yes. I'm guiding you. I'm not telling you what to do. Exactly. I have my beliefs. I'm being a role model for you. I practice what I preach and I preach what I practice, but not a plant-based diet's not for everyone. I respect everybody, whatever they do. But in order to optimize your health, there are going to be certain things you might have to modify. So I tell my Correct. patients, you, you might not be 100% plant-based. Choose what's comfortable for you. Be 75, 25, 80, 20. You want to be flexitarian, vegetarian, pescatarian? Do it. Reducitarian? Do what's right for you. But you have to understand the general tenet of you know, longevity and anti-aging. That's it. 100% and I, I think I, uh, we discussed this at I think on our at our first podcast that I know that I am eating much less uh, meat mm -hmm. than I used to eat right uh, mm -hmm. and um, we've done it uh, with my mom uh, I'm in Poland right now and we're recording this we've done seven days detox and was fully vegetarian and my mom is like and she has rheumatoid arthritis and she said Daria I feel so good I feel so light I don't want to eat meat anymore uh -huh. you know and I know uh, and because I see this that 
for uh, so many people who has chronic health conditions. I do, I told you, lots of elimination diets, right? Bringing people back to um, fully anti-inflammatory nutrition often is resolving their issues. The problem is then they need to change, right? They need to uh, want to create this as a new lifestyle, new thing for them. And that is a process. And sometimes they setting back, pain comes back, right? But uh, I always see, you know, functional medicine, integrative medicine is a beautiful tool, but we need to want to work long term on this rather than just, you know, quick fix. I take some glucosamine for joints. I take vitamin C for this. Yeah. Because that is either not what you and me are uh, preaching here. We believe in this whole global, holistic lifestyle change from mind, body, and spirit or emotion or a heart, whatever you're uh, talking about. And this is probably the same way we, we are approaching you and me PCOS, right, Deepa? Yeah, absolutely, yes. Yes, absolutely. beautiful. Um, okay, we talk about triggers. What is the medical treatment for PCOS? I mean, again, just kind of really assessing um, what the factors are. So when we are um, looking at what is the cause, it's going to vary from patient to patient. So there are going to be some, you know, typical um, general things that people can do. But pretty much um, number one is if you're looking at them, is address their hormone levels. See what's going on with their hormone levels. I like to use um, natural uh, nutraceuticals. So these are very highly regulated uh, what we call basically vitamins and minerals um, and to just regulate their uh, hormonal balance. I do talk to women. It's very difficult for women. I just have to say, because we don't really have a choice when it comes to birth control. Um, you have to take synthetic hormones and that's the problem because synthetic hormones do cause a lot of disruption in your regular production, but we don't have a choice. If we want to take something for birth control, it's going to be synthetic hormones. We can't do um, bioidentical hormones, but what you do is, number one is always diet and exercise. Um, when we're looking at PCOS, most of the women who do have it, most, I'm saying there are always exceptions, are women who tend to be overweight and obese. So if people can shoot to lose about 10% of their current weight, usually that can rectify some symptoms of PCOS. Also, believe it or not, I just talked about birth control pills and saying that could be an issue, but we also use it as treatment. It is very helpful for many women. Um, birth control pills or a patch, those um, can regulate hormones. Because now what we're doing is we're giving exogenous hormones because the endogenous, what we're producing is very regular. If we can come in from the outside and regulate those hormones, that could be helpful. So in that, we also have to look at decreasing the level of testosterone because testosterone is typically going to be high. So usually when women are on birth control pills, that, that can lower the testosterone level because they have a lower androgenic effect. Um, and then, um, you know, the other thing, uh, what I've been seeing and what has been used is metformin. Um, metformin is actually FDA approved for like anti-aging purposes, but metformin can decrease that excess insulin. Again, you have to speak to your physician. This might not be for everyone because there can be adverse side effects. So you have to carefully assess it with your physician and see if it's right for you. But again, if women who are heavier and are more overweight and tend to be pre-diabetic or diabetic, this could be very helpful for them and help regulate that insulin resistance. Um, if a woman doesn't want to take birth control pills uh, or metformin, then you might look at taking progesterone. What happens in PCOS is you actually have a decrease in the level of progesterone. So that's one of the things I look at. But 
taking uh, progesterone can help with that. Uh, maybe taking it for, you know, five days every couple of months can have your body to uh, have a period and kind of clean out the uterus because you're not um, building up that uterine lining. And this also, if that happens, can increase your risks of cancer down the road. And also just getting good testing, um, treating your the issues. Like if you have poor gut health and dysbiosis where the microbiome is disrupted, then that's what you need to treat. So those are typical treatments for that. And then anything else that as a side effect of that, for example, the darkened skin, you know, can always look at aesthetic treatments to help that. Uh, anything like melasma or the acanthosis nigrans, you know, that's always aesthetic things and physical things that you can do. But it's really looking at the root cause and changing your lifestyle. And again, I love it because we're again talking about the root causes because what I've, what I've seen in my practice, again, that so many, and I post was also about this um, medical um, therapies, right, which I mentioned, anticonceptive piece and metformin. And I see most of women actually are on this, right? They go in, they're getting um, diagnosed, PCOS, here we go, that is the way. But, you know, they come in and they are not happy with the results, right? And then they're searching for new options. And we are not against here any uh, medics, medicine, medical way, right, uh, Deepa? And you mentioned uh, this as well. It's not about this, but you cannot just rely on it as a one way because PCOS is much broader. You then need to, and you talk again about this, you said stress. You to look at, at what you're putting on your plate, where the food comes from. Right. Uh, you're eating from, uh, from cans, so you're drinking all the time bad quality of water. Or you, how, what is in your shampoo? What is in your uh, lotion? Mm. What are, is your makeup? You've got so many other things that you can do to enhance mm -hmm. the treatment of anticonceptive pills or, uh, or metformin and that's where I want to bring that awareness because this is where you're going to see more and more results right exercise you cannot just rely on me uh, metformin for insulin resistance and Correct. do nothing to move uh, to for your uh, body composition right. right there's no magic pill I always tell people I'm, exactly as a traditional MD you know what really bothered me was sitting there um it with the restrictions of insurance, which has a short period of time, giving people prescriptions for their cholesterol, for example. But nobody ever talks about what they're eating. I mean, you can't just give a pill and then go home and have someone keep eating burgers and fries. There is no magic pill. Food is your medicine and medicine is your food. So if you don't correct, again, the root causes with everything that we discuss, you're never going to get better. And there's no pill out there. There's no medication that's going to reverse it. If you cannot change your lifestyle, you can't rectify any condition. It's like if you have heartburn, you know, you cannot just take a magic pill to get rid of it. You have to lose weight. You have to stop consuming excess alcohol. You have to stop eating deep fried foods and having excess dairy and meat. And there's so much more to it. And I think we live in such a brainwashed world, unfortunately. While, again, I'm saying this as an MD, medicine can save us, absolutely. But we shouldn't get to that point where we need it. We're very reactive in healthcare, right? We wait to fall sick and then we start trying to repair everything. My philosophy and the way I practice medicine is being proactive and preventative. What can you do while you're still feeling amazing and looking great to prevent falling sick? And I think that's another thing. Like I eat really clean. I'm one of the cleanest eaters you'll probably meet, but I also take like 15 supplements a day. I take very highly regulated things because unfortunately our food 
so our food quality is compromised. So we're not getting the adequate micronutrients. We are confused about the macronutrient intake, the carbs versus proteins versus fats. And a lot of people ask me, well, Dr. Verma, why are you taking, you know, that supplement when you already have great hair and nails? And I said, well, because I, I want to keep it that way. I don't want to wait till I start losing my hair and my nails start breaking. If this is the way I was 20 years ago, this is the way I want to be 20 years from now. So it's maintaining that. And that's what I call anti-aging or optimal aging, right? It's going through life, minimizing your risks of developing a disease. And one thing, uh, again, I will stress here uh, for everyone who listen, what we're trying to say is first change your lifestyle, yes. exercise, sleep, nutrition, vitamin D from the sun, connection with your partners, relationship, how you are with environment, how you're reacting to it, and then you add in your supplements. Because with yes. supplements, it's also the same story, like with uh, med medicine, right? You go in, oh, can I have magnesium for this? Can I have vitamin C for this? Can I have... I'm like, okay, perfect, take it. But then you need to have a beautiful foundation for this to... Not to make this work. This still may help you, right? Mm -hmm. It's better than you are staying in the deficit uh, of magnesium, right? Yep. But still, you know, long term, you should look at, at the basics why you're getting depleted of the magnesium if you're drinking tons of coffee every single day. Yes. Just an example, yeah, right? Exactly. Um, let's uh, quickly, because I know that this is not a... This is a long subject. Insulin resistance, right? It's a, it's a probably one podcast, right? Yeah. But mm -hmm. let's quickly explain what is insulin resistance. Well, insulin is what our pancreas makes, the beta cells in the pancreas. And it's a very intricate system that allows for the excess glucose to be taken out of the bloodstream to be utilized by cells, which actually are fuel for our cells. It's for the ATP cycle for the mitochondria. So... When people really are looking at carbs, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about it because people are scared of carbs. They want to do a high protein diet, a keto diet, a low carb diet. That's not right because I do a lot of genetic testing actually for macronutrients and we need a lot of carbs, but it's not the breads and the pastas and things like that. We get carbs from fruits and vegetables and beans and whole grains. So what happens in insulin resistance, it's not just about sugar, believe it or not. It's actually about your cholesterol. And when I do cholesterol testing, I actually do advanced lipoprotein testing where I'm actually looking at the particle size of your HDL and LDL because when you just do a general lipid panel, you just get very deceptive information. You're just getting your cholesterol, your triglycerides, your HDL, your LDL, the quantitative. You want to actually look at the qualitative breakdown and the particle size. So what happens in insulin resistance is the body is not sensing um, the insulin. So it keeps putting out more and more and more. The cells are not responding to it. And then you have excess sugar that's floating around. This is how you become pre-diabetic. But what, what is the exact mechanism? So we only just don't look at sugar because there are many people who have very high sugar diets and they don't ever develop diabetes. So there must be something else behind it. And it's actually their fat intake or saturated fat intake. What happens is when you have excess cholesterol. Now, let me just go back a little. Cholesterol is actually necessary. We are so focused on bringing cholesterol down that actually too low of a cholesterol can cause hormonal issues. Why? Because cholesterol is your backbone and it's the starting point of hormone production. Cholesterol goes to pregnenolone, then goes to DHEA. And I'm just making this very simplistic. And then the DHEA goes and makes testosterone and then estrogen. So cholesterol is actually like a hormone. It's like the mother of your hormonal pathway. 
also cholesterol is necessary for the cell membrane integrity. So what happens too is if you have too little or too much, you're compromising the cell membranes and things have to go in and out of cells. So when you have excess saturated fat, which is mainly from meat and dairy, then what's happening is you're blocking the cells. That extra fat is kind of creating a barrier, okay? And now the insulin is not being able to be utilized properly. So then you're having excess glucose that's floating around in the blood, not being taken up by the cells because the saturated fat is blocking the entry of that. So there's a lot to say when we look at metabolic syndrome, because it's a combination of things like cardiovascular disease, obesity, hypertension, and diabetes. So all these things go hand in hand. And that's really the biggest source of it. Not all fats are bad. We look at unsaturated fats. So our diet should be primarily focused on unsaturated fats, which are actually more plant-based, by the way. Saturated fats yeah. are more meat and dairy. Again, this is a very simplistic explanation. Um, the only plants really that we can classify as saturated fats are coconuts and palm. So those ones you want to do in moderation, but they do have MCTs and things like that, which are also good. But unsaturated fats are things you're going to find in chia seeds and flax, olives, nuts, avocados. This is what you want to focus on. This is what the body needs to build its hormones. Okay. And that this is going right back to PCOS. If you have hormone dysregulation, then you want to look at your diet. You want to eat cleaner. And that's really the basis of insulin resistance. And then people tend to gain weight. And then because our body is primarily made of kind of like cholesterol and is kind of lipophilic, which means it's kind of fat-based, um, when you have increased fat, that tends to gobble up the hormones. So men, women who have a lot of hormonal imbalance tend to be overweight and obese because that extra adipose tissue is eating up all those hormones. So you know, when we're looking to lose weight and be lean, you want to have a decrease in the um, body fat percentage. Yeah, 100%. And uh, also you're getting fiber, which is very important yes. from all the plant vegetables, uh, which is very important for obviously detoxification, cleansing of the system from that fat that you're actually going to uh, release, right? And Mm -hmm. and improving the, your bowel function. Uh, and it's always, you know, lots of controversy, what I see, right, uh, around, for example, coconut oil, right? But you mentioned also one important thing. You know, we need a little bit of everything uh, and maybe one of, like, unsaturated fat, we need more, but maybe a little bit of that coconut oil, right? But then you have to look at generally how is composed your diet. And what we know, most of the diets are full of sugar, full of saturated food, fat, full of white flour, uh, processed food, right? And that is the story. <laughs> that is the reality. Odipa, yes. um, um, you partly answered my last question because that is short informative uh pcos part one podcast you partly answered consequences of pcos on female body and health and you mentioned the metabolic syndrome you mentioned cardio cardiovascular issues and i know that that could be linked uh, like the develop further if pcos is not managed properly i am right here yeah. I mean, it, you're talking about, um, just restate that question. If it's not managed properly, yes. sorry. Yes, it's consequences of PCOS on female body and health if PCOS is ma not managed properly, right? Because I know that there is some metabolic issues could develop further, 
metabolic yeah. issues, uh, further uh, some cardiovascular problems, right? Uh, yes. I've seen a lot of research on uh, A4M, on the PCOS uh, module, right? Yes. And uh, just I wanted if you could list, you know, side of consequences of, of that. PCOS is just one thing. Yeah, it is. And like I was mentioning before, you know, there's a whole host of other disease processes that are intertwined with it. And I think the problem is in medicine, and again, doing things like A4M and looking at regenerative and integrative and functional medicine allows to think outside the box, is we tend to separate the body and the system. So, you know, we have things like endocrine system and the GI system, the cardiovascular and respiratory system, that's fine. And that's how you learn medicine. Because when I went to med school, the first, one of the first, first courses I had is anatomy. You know, it's opening up that cadaver and looking at the different parts of the body and the different systems that work together. But at the end of the day, your mental and physical well-being are all dependent on the interaction and the interplay between all these systems. So when we're talking about PCOS, we have to also worry about things like diabetes, endocrine problems, cardiovascular disease, heart disease, um, skin issues, dermatologic issues, these all go hand in hand. The basis of a lot of these problems are inflammation. And if we are talking about PCOS or cardiovascular disease or diabetes or obesity, it's inflammation. At the end of the day, what is triggering inflammation? When we have inflammation, what are we looking at? We're looking at autoimmune disease. We're looking at heart disease. We're looking at weight gain. We're looking at things like PCOS and hormonal imbalance. For example, menopause. Menopause is something that's biological. That's supposed to happen naturally. And I'm not just talking about women. Men go through andropause, okay? So men go through too. It's just that we always talk about hormonal imbalance. We always think about women first because we think women are more complicated, but men go through it too. But menopause is a part of life. However, in the Western world, we look at it as something that's evil, right? That's something that's going to be just a bad decade of your life. You're just going to be moody, you're going to lose sleep, you're going to gain weight, you're going to go through a midlife crisis, where in other parts of the world, they don't even have words for hot flashes. They don't even really look at menopause as a negative thing. It's a beautiful transition in life, just like there are so many other phases in life we go to. So if we can just first view our body as something that's going to go through different phases, but help assist it, then that's the way we can look at correcting our lifestyle, right? And that's the way we're going to decrease inflammation. And then ward off all these disease processes that are all connected. Even things like um, sleep apnea, for example, that's, a, that's another uh, factor that people can have in PCOS. But why? It's because people are overweight and obese. So there's other issues going on, hypertension. So it's like a big puzzle. That's what I tell everybody. Where are all the puzzle pieces and how can we put them together that's going to give us the complete picture? That's it. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I always love to talk with you, uh, Deepa. And I hope everyone enjoyed. Everyone has this uh, deeper um, sense of understanding of PCOS, right? Uh, and I think it's uh, straightforward from a medical integrative functional medicine practitioner and a little bit of myself, right? I will definitely yeah. add uh, more knowledge about uh, nutrition and lifestyle. Uh, where is coming my uh, speciality, but I think it's much better than going uh, to Mr. Google <laughs> in that <laughs> matter, yes. right? Because yeah. on the Google, we have so many misinformation, so many good, infor good informations, but you know, I want to give them straight a buffet of understanding uh, PCOS. Okay, Deepa, thank you very much. Uh, again, lovely to talk with you and uh, I hope soon we get our part two. Uh, right, so we do little series here and everyone can enjoy it. And uh, thank you everyone for listening. And uh, I hope 
to you know get and hearing you uh, soon take care bye 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 everyone bye bye Deepa, thank you so much for joining Pursuit of Wellness podcast. Thank you so much for your wisdom, all your knowledge. And we are all grateful that you found a time to share with us your beautiful, beautiful person and giving us lots of value so our health and life gets better. Next week, I'm bringing someone, it's very simple, a personal trainer. Personal training has been close to my heart for the last 15 years, and I love to talk to personal trainers. They are people of wisdom, people of experience, not all of them, but those ones that I am bringing here and want to introduce to you are very valid people and um, I believe that you can benefit from listening them or maybe even connecting with them so they help you get the best out of you guys have a lovely evening lovely night wherever you are lots of love and lots of kisses from me yes kisses came <laughs> goodbye